0: start with this ecclesiastes 3 it says there's a time to tear down and a time to build a time to weep and a time to laugh a time to keep and a time to throw away etc etc and this whole passage we we're not going to go into ecclesiastes by the way for all of you guys who are flipping through um it concludes with this it says he has made everything beautiful in its time So whenever it is time to tear down, it's a beautiful thing to partake in that task of tearing down. When it's time to build, it's a beautiful thing to wholeheartedly build and to do it with joy. There's nothing inherently bad or sinful about either. It's just whether it's in the right season. And so the author says there's nothing better than for men to be happy and do good while they live. So when it's time to build, build happily. And so today we're going to be starting a three-part series on the topic of building. And this is particularly the season that we're going through as a church. I believe the last season that we went through together was a season of healing where we needed to take a step back. We needed to scale back. We needed to take time to reassess where we were, to reconnect with one another, to reconnect with God, reconnect with the word. So many different things that needed to be in place for us to even begin to talk about building. But I feel like now we're slowly starting to shift now. We're going to start building a community together, building a direction together, and we're going to see God moving. In the end, even if we want to build with all of our hearts, if God is not doing the building, it's not going to happen. And so all we're doing in this season is partnering with God who has a desire to build this community. And so I hope that that kind of gives you, um, you know, a bit of reassurance in your heart that it is simply an act of partnership with God, a God who wants to build at this hour. So we're going to open up to Nehemiah 4, if you have your Bibles with you. Nehemiah 4. This is one of those books where... Um, It's okay for you to look at the table of contents uh, because it's very hard to find. If you've gone to the book of Psalms, you've gone too far. Um, It's a little bit before Psalms. So Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to be looking only at six verses. So Nehemiah chapter 4 verses 1 through 6. I have no idea how you pronounce this name, by the way. So I'm just going to call him what I want. When Sambalat um, (laughs) heard that we were building the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifice? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life? From those heaps of rubble, burned as they are. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? If even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. And this is Nehemiah's answer to it Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. So today's message is simply titled, The Season to Build. Um, I don't think the clicker is working right now. Okay, The Season to Build the season to build. So this picture that you see right here, uh, could you move to the next slide? This picture that you see right here, it is a picture currently of the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a big city, and in the middle of it is what we call the old city. So this is kind of where biblically, we assume that this is where biblical Jerusalem was. And surrounding this old city, so between this old city and the rest of Jerusalem, are these massive walls. They just tower over people. And um, all these walls aren't just like you know, just a barrier, but actually on top of them, they're kind of like trenches where people can actually walk through, or like a niche where soldiers would actually stand watch. So the people who are on the wall were actually not just on the wall, they were in the wall. They were in the wall standing watch. And these are the, uh, this, these are the city walls of Jerusalem. I'm sorry, the, the clickers are not working at all right now. Mm. Um, So let me give you a quick overview of where we're jumping in on the book of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah is actually not a a lone standing book in itself. It's actually in conjunction with the book of Ezra. So Ezra and Nehemiah actually go together. And as a quick overview, this is the the progression starting with Ezra chapters. (laughs) Thank you, audio Bible. Someone's audio Bible is on Um, Ezra chapter one. Until chapter six, (laughs) we go through. First of all, this is what happens once the captives are coming back to rebuild the entire city. The first thing that they rebuild is the temple. So for six chapters, we see people rebuilding the temple. Next, we have ezra chapter 7 to 10 they're restoring the place of the torah so the word of god is being restored as a center of this community and at the same time they're restoring the community within themselves then after this in nehemiah uh, one through seven we see the rebuilding of the city walls so this is the point doesn't matter if you rebuild everything within the city if it's defenseless If it's up for grabs for any enemy to come in, if it doesn't have boundaries and walls, what is the point? And so from Nehemiah chapters 1 all the way through 7, we see the rebuilding of the city walls. And then Nehemiah 8 to 12, we see Nehemiah kind of um, embarking on a spiritual renewal for people. And as I was seeing this outline, I was pretty shocked that we as a community inadvertently, we've actually been kind of going through this without... Even realizing it the way that I kind of see it um, rebuilding of the temple. This is the meeting place with God. I don't know if you guys remember um, towards the middle of last year, we went through an entire stretch of talking about going back to our first love. Like all of this doesn't matter if we're not meeting with God, if we're not loving him like first person. Doesn't matter if my neighbor loves him. Doesn't matter if my mom loves him. Doesn't matter if my friend loves him. I need to love God. I need to encounter him for myself. And so I feel like in some ways, God has already been leading us in the rebuilding of that encounter place with God. Second would be restoring the word of God as central and then rebuilding of the community as well. I don't know if you guys also remember, it feels like last year was an eternity ago, right? Last year, we went through an entire season of going straight back into the word, preaching the gospel weeks on end. And we wanted to make sure that you're not coming out here just to connect with one another. And you're not here just waiting for the preacher to feed you the word of God. You're actually connected to the word of God yourself. And so this is part of restoring the Torah, the the word of God, as central in in our faith. And then the community as well. We're starting to reconnect with one another. We're having conversations about loneliness. We're talking about what it looks like to actually know one another deeply, what it means to become a family. And so I feel like those things already inadvertently, we've been going through it already. Now, the third part, the rebuilding of the city walls, I found this very interesting The way that I interpret it, and this is just my own interpretation, I feel like something that would be a city wall equivalent would be a culture of prayer. Without city walls and without prayer, we are easy prey for the enemy. Walls keep people in and they keep things out, they allow and they disallow, they mark. A boundary, a border where God's people will reside. In the same way, I feel like God is starting to teach us more about the central place of prayer. This is a church that was birthed out of prayer that moved forward and grew because of prayer. And I believe God is bringing us back to the place where we once again take up this mantle of prayer. God has called us people of prayer. And then finally, I believe that God will be working through spiritual renewal in our midst. Now, this is the overview Building is good and all, but if you think the enemy is just going to stand by idly and like be like, oh, that's really great. The wall looks awesome. Like, wow. That's never going to happen. The enemy is not neutral when it comes to what God's people are building. The enemy will always come against us with attacks. You better know there will be attacks. There will be resistance as you do what God has called you to do. And this is what uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, they, they talk about. Can we go to the next slide? These are the accusations that we hear just in those few verses. And it's, it's actually way beyond those verses as well. But these are just the ones that I want us to focus on today. So you have to, when you read this, you actually have to read it with the most sarcastic tone that you have. Right, you have to read it with the most scoffing, like oh, like I can't believe, like that kind of tone, um, like literally. That's what they're doing. People who are resisting the building of the wall, they're saying first, what are those feeble Jews doing? Like, oh. <laughs> what does, like you have to scoff like that, right? Can we? Um, is there any way to get this reconnected? Because it's going to be a long sermon if it's not. <laughs> Yeah, so it starts out with, what are those feeble Jews doing? Let me tell you what that means. It doesn't just mean like, oh, it's like like a burn to somebody calling them feeble. Like, what is that feeble person doing? It also says something about the task itself. And this is what it means. If we go to the next slide, it translates as, the task is actually laborious. Like, it will require considerable effort or time. And next slide. It's not just saying the task is laborious. You are too weak. It's saying something about the task that is ahead, and it's also implying certain things about the Jews, about the people who are doing the building. So it's saying not only the task is actually pretty difficult and it's going to take a lot, but you're also too weak to take on this endeavor. If we look at the next one, will they restore their wall? Can we go to the next slide? Will they restore their wall? Again, scoffing (laughs) boys. Will they restore their wall? Right? Next slide. The task is actually too hard to finish. Like, I don't think you're actually going to make it through. I don't think you can start out this thing, but I don't think you're actually going to get to the point where you actually finish your mission. You're not going to build this wall that you so want. Another way to say this is you will not succeed. Next slide you will not succeed. So it's not just saying, will they restore their wall? It's not a neutral accusation. It's actually saying this, the task itself is too hard to finish and you will actually not succeed. So it's trying to cut at the knees, the efforts of the people in rebuilding this wall. Yeah, I don't think it's working. Sorry. Oh, will they offer sacrifices so this is the, the ultimate goal in building up this wall is really to protect the city where they're able to give um, sacrifices unto God. So it's not just saying, well, they offer sacrifices. They're actually asking. The ultimate goal is impossible. You're never going to get to the point where you actually build a wall and you're able to give God these um, sacrifices that you so long to give him. So it's saying you actually can't worship God. You're cut off. There's nothing you can do. Next, will they finish in a day? Will they finish in a day? It means the task will take too long. Are you sure you want to do this? It's not going to be one day. It's going to take two, three, four, a month, five months. It actually took 52 days in the end. But the accusation is, look, the task is actually going to take too long. Are you sure you want to go go through it? And what it's actually implying is you can't complete the work. You can start it off. You can start off all excited and stuff. You can be all hyped up like, yeah, let's build this wall. But somewhere along day three, day five, day 20, you're actually not going to get to the point where you actually finish it. It's going to take way too long. So why even start it? Why even start it? you, You just won't complete it anyway. You won't complete it anyway. And lastly, the question that comes is, can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble? burned as they are this is the translation for it the damage is permanent and the situation is hopeless you can't do anything about it so if you read through these accusations it's a big downer right you're too weak you won't succeed you can't really worship god you can't complete the work and look you can't do anything about it. Why even start? Why even try? Why all the effort? Why all the resources? Why all the time? Why all of the fuss when, like, it's not gonna succeed? And let me be clear about this this is the voice of the accuser. This is not the voice of reason. This is not the voice of let, let me calculate, is this doable? This is the voice of the accuser. They're one that wants to cripple your labor and have you swing back and forth in indecision, the one that injects fear and hopelessness and accusation during the season of building. So it's not a neutral voice that we're hearing here. It is actually the voice of the accuser. But what is the response of Nehemiah when he's encountered with these accusations? And this is what he says. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons, and your daughters, your wives. He's not like, hmm, let me cons- First thing I want everybody to take note of is that he doesn't even give it the time of day. He's not like, hmm, let me consider. No, he's like, no, like doesn't even give it the time of day, and frankly, neither should we. Nehemiah knows the opposition isn't for him, but it's against him. But how often when we are in the task of doing something, especially if we're doing something unto the Lord, how often do we entertain the voice of the enemy? How often do we let these lies kind of creep in and kind of take root in our hearts? Like, oh, maybe, yeah, maybe it's just going to take too long. Like, maybe it's going to be way too hard. Like, maybe I don't have what it takes. Maybe after all of that, it's going to lead to nothing. Maybe the damage is permanent. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And we allow all these different lies to actually creep in to our hearts. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. What does this mean? This means, number one, don't give room for fear. Expect the attack and don't give in to it. Don't be in the battlefield being like, oh, are they shooting at me? Like, oh, that kind of hurts. Like, no, you should go into the battlefield knowing that there's going to be enemy fire being shot at you. It cannot take us by surprise. It cannot be like, oh, what's, what is this? You know, you don't have time to do that. You need to step into the battlefield already expecting the attack and not give it the time of day. Number two, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. This means remain grounded in God's character. Remember who God is. The fact that he has to use the word remember, it means that we're by default going going to forget. We're going to need to be reminded over and over again. Remember the Lord. And he's not just any Lord that you worship. He's actually a great and awesome God. He's not a flabby, feeble, like maybe I can help you with this one. He's not that kind of God that we worship. I I think we got a taste of that even as we were worshiping earlier today. Our God is a lion. Who can stop the Lord God Almighty? It's that sense of like, it's not my strength that I'm looking at right now. I'm looking at the one that I'm serving. And this is a great and mighty God that I'm serving. So we need to be reminded over and over again Not just to not give room for fear, but also to remember the Lord who is great and who's awesome. His character will never change. He is always going to be great. He's always going to be awesome. And lastly, this is probably the hardest part. It's a fight. I mean, it's a call to fight for your families. A call to fight for, to labor for your family. So last week, we talked about how God puts the lonely in families. And today, we see that God's challenge for us isn't just, okay, this is a nice family. I'm just going to settle here and be great. It's actually to fight for a family. Don't wait to be asked or don't wait to hear the audible voice of God before you do this. But fight for your families. What does that look like on an everyday kind of practical application. It looks like this. Very simple. Sign up to serve on a ministry team. Reach out to somebody you know is lonely. Give sacrificially. It means commit. It means sow in. It's the the opposite of commitment driven by fear isn't no commitment at all. It's commitment given freely and out of love. So we in our journey, as we're kind of trying to detox from a lot of Man, like last time I served, I got so burnt. Like, man, serving the church, it equals like me feeling depleted, me feeling like I'm just pouring out, but nothing's pouring back in. The answer to that isn't no commitment. It is right commitment. It is commitment done out of the overflow, given freely and out of love. We cannot dodge this. And to be frank, we're not going to end up with a church if we dodge this. It's going to require a certain sacrifice. It's going to require a certain risk. It's going to require a personal investment from the community. It doesn't just take a pastor or two. It doesn't just take an elder or two. It takes an entire community to actually build up a church. It's going to require something from you. It's not just going to happen casually and automatically. It's going to require you to fight for this family that God has placed you in. It means that there will be sacrifice. It means that it's not always going to be peachy. It means that there will be things that, you know, are more challenging. And yet, the call is still the same. The call is there to fight for your family. Now, if you are perceptive, if you were paying attention to the last slide about, um, you know, this outline of how God rebuilds things, You'll notice that this this outline that I showed at the beginning, there's one part missing. One part missing, and that is Nehemiah 13. There's one chapter that I, for, I didn't forget. I didn't add on purpose, right? Um, Nehemiah 13. It actually, we see a plot twist at the very end of these two books, and it's actually a really big cosmic Let down. It's like after all this labor, after trying to rebuild the temple, after trying to reestablish the Ten Commandments, after trying to build a community, after all these things, we see um, Nehemiah walking around the city and actually he sees the fruit of all of these things, of years of labor. And he looks around and he sees, oh, okay, the Ten Commandments are still being broken. Oh, the Levites are supposed to be attending God's temple. they're, They're idle. They're unqualified and they're not doing their work. We still see a lot of waywardness in people. And the whole point of Nehemiah 13 is that it's going to take much more than just a rally cry. It's going to take much more than a game plan. It's going to take much more than a program and finances and all of these things. It's actually going to require a new heart. This is crucial for us to keep in the center as we are going through the season of rebuilding. This is where we remember the crucial part that what must first happen is for us to receive a new heart. You shouldn't walk out of here with the thought, okay, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to commit to building. I'm going to give sacrificially. I'm going to commit my time. I'm going to join a team. I'm going to do all these things. I don't want you to walk out with that idea in your mind, although that's a great application. The first and foremost idea that you need to walk out of here with is how can I counter these attacks? How will I commit to building? It's going to be not my commitment, not my efforts, not my willpower, not my follow through. It's going to first require God to do something in me. It's going to require much more than my human efforts. If we go ahead with a season of building with all these great ideas and all this You know, like, come on, let's do it. We can do it. High fives, high fives. We can do this. If we do that, we're going to be doing nothing more than multiplying filthy rags. That's what God calls righteous acts that are done without partnership with the spirit. I don't want us to walk away with this idea, okay, I'm just going to try harder. I want us to walk away from here with the notion that God has done something deep and transformative, eternal, permanent, in my heart, and the outflow of that is going to enable everything else. It's going to allow me to not give room for fear. It's going to allow me to remember the Lord who is great and who is awesome. And it's going to give me the strength, the stamina, the longevity, the resilience, the grit that it will take to fight for my family. It is only through God. Because you see, when Jesus When he came down and he lived in our midst and then he died for our brokenness and our sin on the cross, he secured for us the one thing that we couldn't. We couldn't ever attain this. We couldn't earn it on our own. And that is a new heart. But from serenity, a new power and strength that comes not from striving, but from surrender into the hands of a God who is able. So our declaration isn't I am strong. It is although I am weak, he is strong. We draw from the spirit of resurrection that now dwells within us. It is through this and through this only that we can counter the accusations of the enemy. In other words, it's not just enough to stop believing lies, but we actually have to start believing truth. It's not just enough to be like, okay, that's an attack. That's a lie. That's the enemy. We actually have to start coming into alignment with the truth. What does God's word say? Who does God say we are? And so if we were to look back (coughs) on those accusations from the enemy, you're too weak, you won't succeed, you can't worship God, you can't complete the work, you can't do anything about it. If we look at God's word and we see what his truth says, God's word says, when I am weak, then he is strong. God's word says, all things are possible in Christ. God's word says we are reconciled to God and we can worship him. We can encounter him. God's word says he will finish what he started, no matter how long it takes. And God's word also says, if God is for us, who can be against us? This is the truth that we must preach. This is a truth that we must constantly come back to. This is a truth that we have to encourage one another with as well. It's not just the role of a preacher. It's not just the role of a pastor. It's not just the the, the role of a staff member. It is the role of every single person that is seated here to encourage one another in these truths. When you see somebody starting to forget these truths, starting to give room for the enemy to sow in lies, this is what we're called to do. Remind one another, when I'm weak, he's strong. All things are possible in Christ. We are reconciled to God. He will finish what he started. And if God is for us, then who can be against us?